Great, thank you. Please take your Bibles and turn to Genesis 35. Genesis 35 in our reading today. As we continue our journey through the book of Genesis. Here we have Moses writing. Of course, last week we looked at a pretty perilous situation. Again, it's still feeding back, Greg. Starting in verse 1 today. And God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there, and make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household, and to all who were with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you, and purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel, so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress, and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods that they had, and the rings that were in their ears, and Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. And as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them. So they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. And Jacob came to Luz, that is, Beethel, which is in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him. And there he built an altar and called the place El Bethel, because there God had revealed himself to him, and when he fled from his brother. And Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died. And she was buried under an oak below Bethel. So he called its name Alon Bakuth. God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Paddan Ram and blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you. And kings shall come from your own body. And the land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you. And I will give the land to your offspring after you. Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him, Bethel. Then they journeyed from Bethel when they were still some distance from Ephrath, and Rachel went into labor, and she had hard labor, and when her labor was at its hardest, the midwife said to her, do not fear, for you have another son. And as her soul was departing, for she was dying, she called his name Ben-Oni, but his father called him Benjamin. So Rachel died, and she was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem, and Jacob set up a pillar over her tomb. It is the pillar of Rachel's tomb, which is there to this day. Israel journeyed on and pitched his tent beyond the tower of Eder. And while Israel lived in that land, Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard of it. Now the sons of Jacob were twelve. May the Lord add his blessing at the hearing and the reading of his word this morning. Well, I don't know what your first experience at worship was, but I remember my first experiences of worship as a little boy, going to church with my parents, with my family. And uh, Greg, I'm going to interrupt here. It's still feeding back up here. And uh, if it's bugging me, it probably is bugging others. So whatever you can do to help, that would be great. 
It's a mid-range feed. So again, I don't know what your experience is in terms of your first experience worshiping, but I remember going to church as a little guy, and my dad was the choir director, and he led the singing, uh, and uh, my mom would play the piano, and sooner or later, the message would start, and my mom would sit by me, and the, the first things I remember about worship as a little kid is my, my mom's wonderful, gracious, loving hand on my knee, squeezing it ever so tightly, <laughs> so I would quit kicking the pew. That's what I remember. Thank you, Mom, for teaching me how to behave. But I grew up in a church that was pretty huge. It was a megachurch back in the 70s before megachurches were cool. And I remember hearing, what, you know, just hundreds of voices praising God together, and then hearing God's word from an incredibly gifted preacher and evangelist, a guy by the name of Dr. Bruce Dunn. He was a contemporary of Billy Graham. He actually gone to Wheaton College with uh, Billy Graham back in the day. And to this day, when I hear a recording of Dr. Bruce Dunn's voice, my heart melts because even though I was in a room full of hundreds of people, he was my pastor, and I longed to hear what he had to say. Now, if I were to start a game with you called Simon Says, we all know the game Simon Says, right? Simon Says, you know, put your hand on your head. Simon Says, stand on one leg. We could all play that game, right? But if I said to you, Simon Says, worship, what would you do? What would that look like? How would we prepare to worship? Well, I believe God is calling all of us to return to him in worship. But how should we prepare to worship him? In this passage, we're going to see that today. We can prepare to worship him by bearing our old way of life, by putting off sin and putting on Christ, by creating an environment of worship in our lives, and by doing all we can to worship him for all that he is and for all that he has done for us. We've gone back to the beginning in our series, this study on the book of Genesis. From the very beginning, God has created us to be in relationship with him. In chapter 3 of Genesis, we disrupted God's perfect plan for us through our own rebellion against him in the Garden of Eden. And subsequently, God promised that he would redeem a people unto himself through the seed of a woman. A child was promised who would come into the world to destroy Satan once and for all. And as the book of Genesis unfolds, we have seen the seed line of our promised redeemer traced through Adam and Eve's son, Seth, eventually to Noah, and then eventually to Terah, who's the father of Abraham. And then God promised Abraham to be his God and to bless Abraham and his descendants. God's threefold blessing to Abraham included the promise of land, the promise of a multitude of descendants, and God's ongoing relationship of blessing. And from Abraham, the seed line of a promised redeemer continued through Isaac, and then to Isaac's son Jacob. And with Jacob, we initially see a wily and self-interested character who steals Esau, his brother's birthright, and Esau's blessing, at which point Esau vowed to kill Jacob. And in fleeing from Esau, Jacob encounters hard labor and deception under his uncle Laban to the north. But that relationship sours and Jacob heads for home, heading south, only to meet up with Esau again, as we've seen in our study. But Esau's heart had softened toward his brother, and Jacob meets Esau in safety. As time goes by, Jacob has, a, has 11 sons and one daughter through his two wives and two handmaids. And these children and their descendants become what's known today as the nation of Israel. And as the boys come of age, new drama is added to the mix. 
as his own sons exercised murderous treachery, as we saw last week, treachery and rebellion against God with Jacob's neighbors in an overzealous attempt to protect their sister Dinah's honor. And now after all that, God calls Jacob to turn aside and worship him based on all that God is to him and based on all that God has done for him. The message today is really two parts. There's three points altogether. We're going to look at two this week and one next week. So cliffhanger, you got to come back to get the rest of it. But before we study, let's ask God's blessing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this moment we have in this time to study your word, to tear into your truth and to to dive in and hear anything and everything we possibly can from you. Lord, we ask that you would be our guide, you would be our teacher, you would instruct us in what's true. Lord, we are so longing to hear from you today, not from this speaker, but from you. So teach us, we pray. Open your word to us and open our hearts to receive it by the power of your spirit. We pray all this in your son's wonderful and awesome name. Amen. If you have your sermon notes outlined, the first of two thoughts is this. First of all, God is calling us to worship him. That's precisely what happens with Jacob. God calls Jacob to worship. First of all here, it is so good. It is good to go up to God's house to worship. We should all be about that. What does it say in verse one? God said to Jacob, arise, go up to Bethel. Bethel, in the Hebrew, Bethel. Baeth is house of, El, God. It's the house of God, literally. The place where Jacob first encountered God in chapter 28, when he had a vision of a ladder. Remember Jacob's ladder that went up into heaven? Bethel, the house of God. A place to encounter God. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 10 says this, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Well, how can we do that? How can we stir each other up to love and good works? Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near, we should be gathering together all the more, not less. Gathering in his house to hear what he has to say. Gathering in his presence. Sometimes things get hard in life. It's very tempting when things aren't going well in your world. Sunday rolls around. It's like, man, I'm going to sleep in because I had a crummy week. That's the day you really should come to church to be encouraged, to be loved on, to be cared for, to hear truth, to sing its praise, to be renewed in your spirit. Jesus says, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. That means he's here. We're two or three, right? We're a little bit more than that. He's here. You mean we have an opportunity to encounter the risen Christ as we worship together, as we hear his truth together? Absolutely. I don't know about you, but there are days, weeks, where I'm like, I, I need you. We just sang that. I need you desperately. You recall the early church in Acts 2, it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread, which we're going to do at the end of the service as we go to the Lord's table and to prayers. 
and awe came upon every soul, and, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Awesomeness starts happening. Life changes for individuals. I've seen it. I've seen what God can do in the heart of people through worshiping with God's people. When things are tough, don't run away from the church. Run to it. Run to God's house to hear from him with what he has to say. I don't know what it is, but when I meet somebody for the first time, they find out I'm a pastor. For some reason, people feel this need to tell me their story about you know, why they go to church or don't go to church, whatever, as if I'm keeping track or something, and I'm not. I don't have a big enough notebook for all that. But I remember one guy in my first church, I was down in the Quincy area, and I met him for the first time, and he goes, oh, you know, you know I don't attend church. Um, me and God, me and God, we, we've got an arrangement. I'm like, really? <laughs> Where's that? And what arrangement could that possibly be? Because what would God want for you? He'd want you to be with his people, worshiping him in community. By the way, for us to grow spiritually, the best way for us to grow is through the means that God provided. That's by way of the church, us gathering together. Beloved, it's so good for us to go up to God's house to worship. Spiritual growth and maturity takes place this way. For me, I personally, I hate missing church. And here God says, come to my house, Jacob. It's so good for you to come my house to worship. But then secondly, notice what else God says. He says, and dwell there. The second motif here is, it is good to make our abode with him. Not only do I want you to come up to my house, God says, but I want you to live there. Now, we're not all going to move in here. <laughs> okay? We're not going to all live here. That's not, that's not what we're going to do. But for us to dwell with him, that's what we should be about. We should be abiding with him. Don't just go up there to my house. I want you to live there. And Jesus, of course, himself taught us this principle in terms of our dwelling with him. The word he uses is abide. We need to abide with him. In John 15, listen to what Jesus says. Abide in me and I in you. In other words, as, as we abide in him, he's in us by his sheer grace toward us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus goes on to say, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, can it? Can a branch by itself bear any fruit? No, it's got to be attached to the vine. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you. See, some of us are like, well, I'm going to go bear fruit all by myself. No, you, you can't. You've cut yourself off from all the nourishments. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Are you hearing that? Apart from him, goose egg, zero, nada, nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. Ouch. But if you abide in me, Jesus says, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, it'll be done for you. Like, Really? Yes, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so, I have, so have I loved you. Abide in my love, Jesus says. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. 
These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. You mean, is it possible somehow we're missing out on joy because we're not abiding with him? Yes. Abide with him. It's so good for us to make our abode with him. The word abide here in the Greek, it's a verb to stay, to abide, to continue, to dwell, to endure, to be present, to remain, to stand. This is where true joy is found. Spiritual growth happens here. So how do we abide with him? Are you taking responsibility in your life to dwell with him, to abide with him? You know, over the years, I, I've, I've had to make myself abide. I think sometimes we approach our faith as a passive, you know, we're participant, you know, we're just a bystander kind of watching our faith, hopefully it happens, as opposed to engaging and going after it. Years ago, when I was younger, I mean, way before I went into pastoral ministry, uh, there came a point when Kathy and I were first married and we we're starting to go to church and I'm hearing some great teaching and I'm like, man, I need to get a handle on this stuff. I need to start studying this stuff. And so I started getting notebooks and I'd sit right up front because I didn't want to miss anything that God might have for me. I got stacks of notebooks in my house for 10 years of that time period where God was doing a work in me. I'd show up early. I'd take that notes page that you have because our pastor had those. Mm, that's where I got that. And, and I would write down the notes page ahead of time with blanks in it, and I'd fill in my own notes page. I'd actually get to church early so I could do that, and I sat right up front because I didn't want to miss anything God had for me that day. I grabbed my Bible and I started reading my Bibles. Now you're going, what's all this? Well, these are my Bibles. This is a great one. You know what's cool about this Bible? This holy Bible presented to Brad Belcher by Grace Church, by Grace Church Sunday School, August 27, 1972. I, I had to tape it to put it, keep it together, right? And I, I turn... I turned 60 this year. One, two, three, four, five, six. Look at all the Awana tape holding these things together. I mean, now, what am I trying to say? And this is my, my, the one, my current one. Uh, they say if your Bible's falling apart, your life probably isn't. Grab your Bible and read this thing. Read God's word. Scripture says of itself, it is life to you. Think about that. I mean, I think most of us are going to eat today. Why? Because that's important to live. What about this? What's your diet of his word? Again, I'm not saying all this to go, aren't you something? That's not the point. I'm just trying to give you an example of if I'm going to say this stuff, man, I better be about it, right? So, so I'm, I'm serious. I've taken God seriously about his word, and I've tried to abide in it. I'm trying to abide in him because I want to hear who he is and what he's done for me so that I can rightly praise him, rightly walk with him, walk, rightly testify about him in the lives of others. This is huge. God is calling us to worship. It's so good to make our abode with him. But thirdly here, it is good to experience his revelation. We need to experience his revelation Notice what it said in verse 1. I want you to make an altar. 
make an altar there to, to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. God is reminding Jacob, remember that time I showed up and I showed myself to you? It is so good for us to experience his very revelation. I know God appeared to Jacob. We see that written here. But the question for us is, what about us? Has he appeared to us? Has God appeared to you? And I would suggest to you, he certainly has. How so? Titus 2.11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Paul writes, how has the grace of God appeared to us? The grace of God has appeared to us through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul goes on to say to Titus in 3.4, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. We should be praising God for his salvation, praising him for his mercy, praising him for his washing, praising him for the Holy Spirit, praising him for Jesus. God is calling us to worship. It's so good to experience the revelation of Christ to us through his word. It's good for us to make our abode with him. It is so good for us to go up to God's house to worship but secondly, we ask the question, okay, worship? You know, Simon says worship. Well, how should we prepare for that? How do we get ready to worship? And now God gives some incredible instruction to Jacob that we don't want to miss. How should we prepare to worship God? First of all, by burying our old way of life. Bury it. Get a shovel, dig a hole, and bury it. So Jacob said to his household in verse two, and to all who were with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. In verse four it says, so they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had and the rings that were in their ears. Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. What did he do? He buried them. This is the idea of repentance. Acknowledging I've got stuff in my life that's gotta go. Agreeing with God that I've been wrong. I've been following you in rebellion. Oh, God, help me. Beloved, we need to turn from our own idolatry, our idolatry of the past, to faith in Christ. We need to be single-minded in our devotion to God. Jesus himself said in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money, by the way. If you're holding on to something else, it's going to be very hard for you to abide with him. It's going to be very hard for you to hear his revelation to you. We need to turn in a different direction. Know with certainty that you cannot serve alcohol in God. You cannot serve tobacco in God. You cannot serve marijuana in God. You cannot serve pornography in God. What is it in your life controlling you other than God? About six, seven years ago, I had a little bit of a medical scare. And the medical scare 
was that I had become addicted to sugar. I'm serious. I was a sugar freak, man. We lived in Budapest for a while, and if you're going out to eat in Budapest, you have to buy the bottled water. And I'm thinking, if you're buying the bottled water, I might as well just buy a Coke. And they come in these itty-bitty bottles. Is it itty-bitty Bible? I mean, it's like, it's like a thimble of Coke, you know, Coca-Cola. I'm like, come on. So I go out. I, I, the, the waitresses and waiters were like, dude, are you okay? You know, they were saying that in Hungarian, whatever they say. I don't know how they say that. But anyway, you know, I get like four of these little bitty bottles to finally get my fill of Coca-Cola. You guys, I was going through a two-liter in two days. That's a liter of Coke a day. And I come home back to the States. We move home, and in Budapest, at least, you know, you're walking a lot. Uh, we had one car. Where you take a tram or a bus or a train into the city, and then, you know, you're walking everywhere, so you at least can work some of that out, plus a little bit better diet with what you're eating over there, a little fresh greens and fresh bread and stuff. But now I come home, and I keep pounding the... At one point, when I realized I had a problem, my sugar was like 280, 290. Gasp. I was, I was heading to diabetic land. I was in trouble. And I remember realizing that with my problem, my addiction to sugar, that that meant a lot of carbs are going to have to go. The bread, the crackers, a lot of stuff. I, I even talked to my doctor. I said, hey, you know, if, if I use like the whole grain bread, that's better than the, the white bread, right? He goes, well, that's like smoking a filtered cigarette, he said. Oh, Thanks. Too much sugar, lots of carbs. Because I was a bread nut, you know. I, I'm serious. Let me tell you what happened to me. I went to the grocery store with this newfound realization that the sugar's got to go. My little idol, my little pet little thing. I go down the cereal aisle. I'm trying to look for anything I could get that had low carbs. I cried. I wept. Matter of fact, somebody from my church came around the corner while I'm trying to, I'm grieving the fact that I can't eat all this stuff. It kind of caught me. I had to like, catch myself up. I'm okay. But sometimes things get a hold of us and can control us. And it comes at you in ways that surprise us sometimes. What idol needs to go for you? By God's grace, uh, the sugar was brought back into submission. I'm doing much better these days, and I don't pound Coca-Cola anymore. So, but I like the Diet Coke. That's good. By bearing your old way of life. Listen to this. Joshua, Moses' successor, wrote this. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. All of us have to make that decision in terms of who we're going to worship, who we're going to serve, 
what are we going to honor? Are we going to honor him first and foremost, or are we going to accommodate something else? Whom will you serve? Samuel said to all the house of Israel in 1 Samuel 7, 3, if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. Romans 6, 4, we're ta- Paul talks about this idea that we are buried with him. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. There's not a better picture of that idea in terms of water baptism. When we, we go under the water and we're basically saying, I'm dying to self, and we come out of the water saying in proclamation that I put my faith and trust in Christ and now I'm being raised to new life in him. What a beautiful picture. But uh, we don't want to die to things. We want to hold on to things. But we need to be buried with him, he says. Bury your old way of life. But secondly, by putting off sin. It's one thing, okay, I've dealt with that stuff in the past, but what about the stuff right now? The things I'm wrestling with right now. Notice what the text says in verse 2. He says, Purify yourselves. Put away your foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves. Purify yourselves? Yes. Beloved, we need to be washed clean from all of our sin. We need to ask God to help us remove our sin from us. We can't do it in and of ourselves. Hebrews 12, 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin. Get it out of here. Bury it and throw it off. Lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Paul adds in Ephesians 4, but that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Ah, purify yourself. The nation of Israel, of course, was in constant rebellion against God from time to time. And in Isaiah 1, God basically says of Israel, you guys have become a stench to me. You're doing all these things outwardly. You've never given me your heart. Uh, you are so annoying to me, God says. He says in verse 16 of, of Isaiah 1, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. The mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Beloved, whatever sin you're wrestling with, put it off. Put it off. Purify yourselves. And what else does it say in verse 2? And change your garments. The idea, it's one thing to put off something, but now replace that with what? With whom? With Christ. Put on Christ. Change your garments, he says. 
As we put off sin, we need to put on new garments. We, we need to literally put on Christ, being clothed with his righteousness. Remember when Adam and Eve sinned against God in Genesis 3, 21, obscure little verse where it says of God that he provided skins for them. What was he doing there? God provided skins. Well, before, at the end of chapter 2, they were naked and unashamed, but now with sin, there's shame. There's guilt. And so God provides skins. He provides a covering for the sin. And that inaugurates the sacrificial system. These animals who were who died in their place. In Genesis 3.21, that's where it starts. And of course, it all points to the once and for all sacrifice, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We need to be clothed with Christ. We need to put him on, put off sin, change our garments by putting on Christ. Ephesians 4.24, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Galatians 3.26, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Remember the prodigal son, you know the account, the lost boy, squandered his inheritance in loose living, finds himself eating, dining with the pigs in the pigsty. And he finally realizes, I need to go home. I had it so good with my father. Maybe he'll take me back as a servant. He knew his place. He knew he didn't belong. But maybe my father might have compassion on me. Of course, the father's waiting on the porch, waiting for him to come, and runs and embraces his son. And one of the first things the father does for the boy, get a robe for him. Let's clothe him. Let's cover up the stench of the pigsty and clothe him in righteousness. It's beautiful. Beautiful illustration. Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. This son of mine was lost, but now he's been found. Beloved, we need to put on Christ. We need to put off sin. We need to bury our old way of life. But fourthly here, we need to create an environment of worship in our lives. Notice what it says, after we change our garments, after we change these things, verse three, then let us arise and go up to Bethel. Let's go up to God's house so that I may make there an altar. Notice, notice, notice Jacob's intent here. I'm gonna go to God's house and my intent in going there is simply to worship. I need to make an altar there and offer sacrifice. We need to create an environment of worship in our own lives. This denotes movement on our part to arise, to go, to worship the one who has met us in our distress. It means a change in position, a change in our posture. Again, a lot of us as Christians, we're so passive. Well, I, I hope you know, something happens today to me through you know, the preaching or the song we sing. No, engage, go worship, go make an altar. Engage, let's not be passive in our worship. Let's not be spectators. Let's engage by creating an environment of worship in our own lives. So how do we create an environment of worship? Is there an environment of worship in your life? Do you have an environment of worship in your home? 
a good chair, a, a, with good lighting, with God's word in your hand, hearing maybe good worship music you're listening to? What's hindering you from doing that? In the environment for worship in our church, we long to worship together and to hear God's word together, doing all we can to remove distractions so if you're going to sit down and read God's word, maybe you should put the phone away for a while. Yeah, there's a crazy idea. Put it on do not disturb. You know that, that has it on there. Put it on airplane mode, whatever. Turn it off. There's a crazy idea. Turn it off. Oh, my goodness. I'll lose connectivity with the world. I think you'll be okay. You'll, you'll survive. Turn it off and engage him. Create an environment of worship in your life. The Apostle Paul reminds us that we should take every thought captive to obedience to Christ. And if I'm constantly distracted and I'm all over the place, you know, we say, why is our culture so ADHD? Because we've created it that way. We're all over the place. We're constantly distracted. Squirrel, squirrel. Dozens of them. Lastly here, how do we prepare for worship? By remembering, don't miss this, by remembering all that he's done for us by remembering all that he's done for you. It makes it very clear here in our passage here. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I've gone. We need to remember all he has done for us. He's the one who answers us in our distress. Has anybody been distressed this last year? Did you cry out to him? He's there. I've been in distress. I've cried out to him. He's there. And he's been with me wherever I go. We need to remember this is who our God is. He's the one who answers us when we're in trouble. He's the one who will always be there no matter what. When everybody else ditches us, he's there. Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way. Sometimes it feels like the ground is giving way underneath us and we're falling. Even if the ground gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, God is our refuge. Psalm 50, 15, call upon me, God says. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. Beloved, we need to remember all he has done for us. By the way, as we encounter all that we're studying here, who's really pursuing whom here? We could talk about Jacob pursuing God, but isn't it really God pursuing him? Isn't it possible this morning God is pursuing you through what you're hearing today in terms of you being called to draw near to him? by his sheer grace. Beloved, we need to remember who he is and what he has done for us. Are you prepared to worship him this morning? I believe God is calling all of us to return to him in worship, but how should we prepare? We can prepare to worship him by bearing our old way of life, by putting off sin and putting on Christ, by creating an environment of worship in our lives, and by doing all we can to worship him for all that he, he is and for all that he has done. I ask you, what do you need to bury today? Where do you need to dig and where do you need to throw it?
in the hole, bury it. What do you need to put off? What sin are you yet accommodating that needs to go? Have you put on Christ? What do you need to do to create an environment of worship in your world, remembering all that he is and all that he's done for us, which is exactly what we're going to do right now. We're going to take a moment and remember who he is and what he's done for us. As we go to the Lord's table, I'd like to just remind you for just a moment precisely what he has done for you. Ephesians 1, verse 4, it won't be on the screen, but just listen. Paul says this, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world. If you are in Christ, he chose you before the foundation of the world. That's crazy. That we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him things in heaven and things on earth. And in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Through Christ he chose you, He's in the process of making you holy and blameless. He predestined you. He adopted you. He redeemed you. He's forgiven you. You have an outrageous inheritance for all eternity in Christ. And you've been sealed by the Spirit of God. And you belong to Him. God is pursuing you this morning to redeem you, to forgive you, to seal and save you. As we come to the Lord's table this morning, here at Oakwood Bible Church, we have an open communion table. By this is meant that all those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior are so very welcome to participate in the two simple elements of the bread and the cup. The bread which represents the broken body of Christ, broken for us in payment of sin, and the cup which represents his shed blood on our behalf again, in payment for all of our sin rebellion. If you have young people with you, make sure that they understand the gospel and made a profession of faith before you allow them to participate. Uh, we want to make sure they understand what they're participating in. The Apostle Paul, in his first letter to the Corinthians, issues this admonition to all who consider partaking in the bread and the cup. He writes, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. So let a person examine himself then. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. In this warning, there are two potential concerns. The first, partaking in an unworthy manner. That's, that's a concern. We, we don't want you to be put in a position where you might be partaking in an unworthy manner. What do we mean by that? Well, perhaps you've made a profession of Christ 
Maybe you've invited Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior in the past, but are currently living in outright sin and rebellion against him. If this is the case, I encourage you to examine your heart before God, before partaking in something that you are holding in contempt with how you're living right now. If you're not willing to make things right with him in this moment, if you're not willing to repent, then I encourage you to let the elements pass until such time as you've made things right with God in your heart. But better yet, even this morning, make things right with him right now through confession, repentance, and commitment, and then freely join us. The second possibility is maybe you're not a believer. Maybe you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. If this is the case, I would encourage you also to let the elements pass as a witness to you. If you haven't given your life to Christ, we don't want to ask you to participate in something that you don't even believe in. We don't want to ask you to practice any hypocrisy. But even better would be for you to turn away from the direction you've been going. Turn. Give your life to Christ. Receive him through faith. Take him as your own for salvation right now in this very moment. Receive him as your Lord and Savior and invite him into your heart and life right now. Don't wait a moment longer. And then please freely join us in this remembrance. As the elements of the bread and the cup are passed, please note that both elements are contained in two stacked cups. They're stacked together in the tray. So make sure you get both of them. The bread's in the bottom, the drink is on the top. So make sure you get both. But as we prepare to partake of the bread and the cup together, please hold both elements as you are served, and we will then thank the Lord for the bread and the cup separately. So at this time, I'd like to invite the ushers and elders to come forward to serve. And as they come, please take this time of preparation to be in prayer, examining your own heart before God, seeking his forgiveness and deliverance, renewing your commitment to him, and remembering with thanksgiving his sacrifice for you on the cross as he paid your penalty for all of your sins once and for all. Will you please pray aloud with me? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debt. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As Paul has written to the church at Corinth, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I've asked Elder Dr. Kent Allman to pray for the bread which was broken for us. Dear Lord, we come before you now, gathered around your table, remembering back to the sacrifice you made. With this bread, which represents your broken body as it hung on the cross, where you made the ultimate sacrifice for us, taking our punishment upon yourself, making a way for us to have salvation through you and your sacrifice. We keep these things in mind as we partake of the bread now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please take and eat. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. I've asked Elder Ron Crofa to 
pray for the cup which was poured out for us. All right, let's pray. Father, as we continue in this remembrance, we continue to be grateful for your initiative, your action, your reaching out to us through Christ, through his sacrifice, through his willingness to obey you, to take our sins upon himself, to give out his lifeblood to pay for our sins. Father, I continue to be grateful. Thank you, Lord, for this congregation and our opportunity to remember you, remember Christ's sacrifice in this. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Please take and drink. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Would you please stand for our closing prayer? Our gracious Heavenly Father, it's been so great to come into your house to hear your truth, to worship your name. And now, Lord, we ask that as we leave this place, we take these truths with us, that we would walk in them in such a way that we would touch the hearts and lives of those around us, in our families, in our workplace, in our schools. Use us to build your kingdom for your glory. Thank you, Lord, for this time. We want you to receive all the praise. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you so much for coming. Have a fantastic week.